Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of this Verbal Reasoning podcast. Uh, this is season two. You can find season one on all of your streaming uh, apps. We are available pretty much everywhere. Uh, we did miss last week's episode, but that was due to our heavy work schedules. But we are back now, and we're back in a week where some rather big breaking news has taken place. Um, I think I'll first introduce our guest and then we can jump right into it. So our guest today is Rohat, who's been on the podcast many times in the past. And I'm also joined by my co-host, Steve. Hello, guys. How you doing, Rohat? I'm good. You lot, how are you lot doing? Yeah, we're doing good. We're doing good. That's good to hear. So should we get straight into it? Um, I think the big news that's kind of dominated everything in the media this week, obviously, is the growing uh, violence, I guess you can call it, in... Palestine or Israel, depending on which which side you stand on. But um, what do you guys think? What's your initial reaction when I say there's an ongoing sort of violence? I mean, yeah, maybe you give some background. So I think it was sometime last week, uh, because of uh, it's coming towards the end of Ramadan, uh, people went to pray in a mosque called uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's one of the third most holiest site in uh, Islam, and it's, ve- it's actually very important to Jews as well. Um, as there were people uh, praying inside the mosque, uh, the IDF, which is Israeli Defense Force, um, decided to raid the mosque and basically throw tear gas and uh, fire into the mosque, throw grenades. And this basically kicked off, uh, let's say, a series of backlash back and forth. I don't know, like for, for me, I don't understand why they had to do that. <laughs> like they know Ramadan is coming they know this is a, it was an important night as well like it, it's a predictable thing but was it necessary to to like I, I don't, what was the reason for it i, I don't understand yeah. that you know what um, guys should i should i just read out before we get into anything because obviously we want to be factual about this because there's a lot of you know back and forth between the two communities involved so let's just try to read at least what is being disseminated to us here in the uk by our press so this is um written by oliver holmes who is in uh, Jerusalem for The Guardian. Uh, so I'll explain. Obviously, you can take this with a pinch of salt if you want, because we know that everybody has their own kind of agendas and where they stand. But this is what is written in The Guardian. So it says, what is happening in Israel and Palestine? Jerusalem has experienced its worst unrest in years, with hundreds of Palestinian protesters wounded in clashes with Israeli police. We can delve into the language here as we go further forward, but... More than 20 people have been killed in Gaza following fighting between militants and Israel. Again, we can look at the language there. Violence has surged into the occupied West Bank and Arab communities inside Israel have held and have held demonstrations. What has caused the increase in violence? It all relates to Israel's half-century military occupation and its ever-deepening grip over Palestinian life. Long-building anger has exploded because a series of events have all converged at once, reaching a climax on Monday. What is the background of these events? In the wake of steps taken by the Trump administration and Israel to cement the country's control over Palestinian territories, hope for a resolution to the decades-old um, crisis is at a nadir. A decision by Mohammed Abbas, the 85-year-old leader of the unpopular semi-autonomous Palestinian Authority, to postpone planned elections had added, has added frustration for Palestinians, whose last parliamentary ballot was in 2006. Meanwhile, an Israeli election in March further emboldened Israel's far right, bringing a party of Jewish ultra-nationalists allied with the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu into parliament. What has happened since then? 
A month ago, the Muslim holy month of Ramadan began. The Palestinians have complained of what they say are unnecessarily severe restrictions by Israeli police, who prevented them from gathering on steps outside the old city, an unofficial tradition after evening prayers. Amid rising tensions, there was an increase in communal violence with videos shared online of street harassment and several attacks between Jews and Palestinians. Events came to a head in late April when hundreds of far-right Israelis marched down city streets chanting death to Arabs and confronted Palestinians. How did, they, how did it escalate over the past week? So I know I've read quite a bit there, but it's important to put in this kind of background into what's happened. So how did it escalate over the past week? Anger built ahead of an Israeli court ruling, which was due on Monday on whether authorities would evict dozens of Palestinians from a majority Arab East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah and, and give their homes to Jewish settlers. On the same day, thousands of flag-waving Israeli nationalists were due to march through Muslim neighborhoods in the old city in a provocative parade that celebrated Israel's capture of the city in 1967. By Monday, the court date had been delayed and the march was rerouted. But by that point, the situation had already spiraled. Okay, I don't know if I should continue reading this because it's quite a bit, but... Yeah, maybe we can that gives a, That gives a good background, I guess, of what's kind of been happening within that region since. So knowing this... What's your immediate thoughts when you hear that? I mean, for me, the like I never really agreed with the settlement um, idea of you know just having the given right to settle in a given house, uh, be it you know people living there for like two, three generations, and just saying, oh, you know, it was recognized by a government, and so therefore by law you can move out. Uh, that for me never made sense, but it was it's a thing that we expect. You know, we see this happening. This is not the first time. But what really surprised me was kind of the uh, the hard approach of, you know, like storming Alexa during that special day on in Ramadan, and I, I don't understand why. Was it to kind of show force? Was it to? Uh, I, I don't know. That that really irks me, to be honest. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot of discussion going around this topic, obviously. Um, so I believe, obviously, with the evictions that started off a new wave of tensions, it's it's Ramadan, as you said. There's been kind of um, a push to put restrictions onto what you know the Arab community, the Muslim community, they can do, uh, and I think, yeah, I th I think in essence what ended up happening was a kind of spillover of tensions where the Israeli uh, army, which is called the IDF, I believe, kind of stormed Al-Aqsa Mosque, and you know I, I think the wording is important here because they've said the IDF clashed with protesters, but I don't believe that to be the case. I believe that these were people who were just praying in their mosque, given that it's Ramadan. And I mean, again, what, what's, you, what's you guys' thoughts on this whole thing of calling it a, a war, calling it a clash with protesters, when in reality we're seeing that most of the people who are getting harmed are innocent civilians, in, in, in most cases, even children and women who have nothing to do with any kind of military force who aren't necessarily you know, protesters, they're just civilians trying to survive in what is, a, in my opinion, a very one-sided war, uh, even if you can call it a war, if I'm being honest. With I you. mean, like, the language is interesting because they call it a clash and they even claim that, uh, you know, there was, like, weapons inside. But you do know but you do know that Jews go to pray there as well. So <laughs> they actually split the time for people to go there. So they, they split it between, uh, like, certain hours for Jews to go in and, and pray and for Muslims to go in and pray. Surely, if there was like a stockpile of guns and whatever they claim there to be inside the mosque, they would know. <laughs> it's, it, obviously, there's a narrative that they want to kind of justify what they've done. Um, for me, it's, it's nowhere near a clash. 
if there's people praying and you go in, you know, full force with right gear and tear gas, for me, that's that's not a clash at all. But I, I don't know. What was your opinion, Ruha? No, I just, because I kind of stumbled on that same question of why as well, because I think it's been so devastating that nobody's stopped for a second and thought, wait, why did they clash in on that day? It just, it feels nasty. Do you get me? If you like the day they went as well, mm. the time they went, it just like you couldn't wait half an hour, hour, let people finish their prayer. Do you get me? It's yeah, yeah. You just you can just see how disgusting that government is. Do you get me? That's 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 the way I see it. I mean, what's I, interesting? Aaron and again, sorry, that, just last thing. I, I, again, it's I don't think I agree as well. I don't think it's no war, man. You can't. It can't be no war. When one side has got military force and the other side has got what they're throwing a, a, a brick over, maybe at mm. best. So, I think what's interesting, Aaron mentioned before, is that Netanyahu. Uh, so currently in the Israeli political scene, is that Netanyahu has to actually find a coalition, a government coalition. He's not necessarily fully in power, and his time is running out actually. So next month they're going to call it because it's too late, and um, it's a bit strategic the timing, you know. So seeing that most Israelis don't like the Palestinians and there are a lot of far-right Israelis that, that want to see violence. It, I feel like the timing is perfect for, you know, to gather like uh, nationalistic sentiment uh, due to the violence and to capitalize to get himself elected. That's my opinion. I think the why of it all, I think what really has pushed that, we saw videos going viral like a month or two ago is the evictions. So it's this kind of self-determined belief that there is an entitlement to the land that people may have lived on for generations uh, from people who have decided to settle, who have maybe come from Europe, for example, who have no kind of history of owning the land, but it's a sort of entitlement of that is our land to be kind of taken off the people who actually live there at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen videos of people just walking into homes and saying, oh, you guys got to get out. This is mine now, which is... I think that's what kind of started this current bout of, of anger and whatever, which yeah. has now escalated into what it is right now. And I do have to say, just before we came onto this podcast, obviously it's been reported that the Al Jazeera media, uh, you know, headquarters has been bombed by around four missiles, I believe, uh, launched by the Israeli government. So, I mean, what, obviously we have a side if you want to call it a side, right? I mean, we know where we stand. We know who we think is in the wrong and who we think is in the right about the situation. I think it's pretty obvious and evident. But, I mean, let's try to look at it from the other side. What do you think is the justification to kind of attack, in, in many cases, civilians, when you have, a, have the newest weapons and you have the best kind of uh, arsenal that money can buy? What is the justification to turn around and attack someone who necessarily doesn't have anywhere near what you have and uh you know with all the deaths of civilians including children mm. you know what can be your justification for that let's try to think of it from the other side i mean but there is no justification that's the whole thing though right <laughs> what can we say to that I, I, let's say like if i was israeli i'm trying to understand so like, it, yeah let's think of it so, so I, I, did, I did quite a bit of research into it and so if we go from the mosque incident and so we know there was like street violence uh, people, uh, Israeli public was attacking uh, Palestinians and people started dying. And so what happened is the the group, let's say, uh, 
oh yeah and then sorry so the moment people started dying israel was like okay it's time to you know show force because they've done this in the past where they've bombed gaza and then everything went quiet because they're like okay enough is enough well what happened this time is they bombed gaza so they killed a bunch of people and then hamas retaliated so they 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 fired missiles and like you said Aaron, israel is well known to have this thing called the iron dome uh, that's what they call it which is basically a impenetrable uh, anti-rocket um, technology. Essentially, they just won't get hit by, by these uh, useless rockets. But they use that as an excuse to obviously tighten even more, to, to do more bombings. Okay, let's and, not call it an excuse, right? So, Because I, right. I go and I actively look at you know, Twitter pages and social media pages to try and understand what the other side's argument is. The mm. other side, so let, for a minute, let's say that what we know to be right is wrong. The other side is saying, well, they threw rockets at us and we're defending our people. But what is defense, Aaron? Like, this is, is this is the part that I want to kind of nail on. What is defense? But is let me defense get... leveling hospitals and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. homes of civilians who aren't involved in the conflict in any way? What kind of defense is that? You know what? You can give as an example of self-defense because you can't, let's say somebody attacks you and like they're throwing fists and stuff and you've knocked them down they're knocked they're, that's it it's done if you then go to start bashing their head and you go to court and you say well self-defense the 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 judge gonna be like well you knocked him out and he was laying there flat and everything was fine it was sorted and then you went on to start bashing his head and well that's not self-defense no more hmm. so it's the question of if i throw a rocket to you and explode that house and then you throw a thousand rockets back and just demolish everything. Well, at, it, at that point, it doesn't become self-defense. Do you get me? Yeah. So I mean, uh, it's not an excuse. It's... It, it, and the fact is, nothing was demolished on the Israeli side. This is the funny part. They're, they're always stopped. But before. do we know that, though? That's the thing. I don't want to make any strong no, I'm, statements. I, I, but I, I, I'm, I'm very sure that there has been zero casualties completely. So yeah, I don't, I don't think there's been any necessarily casualties, but uh, like I said, like the civilian casualties, let's say at the very least. I'm, I mean, like it's very well known, and the technology is very well known. The Iron Dome is is very high class, and what Hamas has at hand is really not not levels. It's like handmade stuff. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I don't know. What's interesting though, also, so I've done a bit more digging on the Palestinian side, and what is the politics right now with Palestine? Uh, as you know, there's two sides to Palestine. There's Gaza and there's the West Bank. And currently in Gaza, uh, Hamas is uh, the elected and ruling uh, group. But however, on the West Bank, uh, I think it's called, uh, it begins with F, like Fatima, or ah, I forget what it's called. But there's, a, there's another opposing group, which actually aren't, aren't quite close with Hamas. They don't like each other. They've clashed in the past. Equally, again, there's an election coming up in the West Bank, which Hamas could win. Now, now one, on the Israeli side, you could say perhaps Hamas retaliated, knowing that they won't do any damage, but knowing that they may win the hearts of the Palestinian in the West Bank on purpose. Perhaps yeah, there definitely seems game. to be a kind of political game at play here. When, when is there? It's always a yeah. political fucking this game. Is, this is the thing, yeah. There's mm. always someone who's going to benefit from the madness isn't there like so yeah both sides i guess you could say there's people on both sides who will benefit from this but let's talk about the casualties you know how do you rectify this situation going forward and i actually want to kind of point out what is the what is the purpose of the united nations exactly. 
what is the purpose of the night? This doesn't, this just feels like surely there's some sort of international law that is being broken here. I mean, this can't be legal. None of this. The, the deportations of people from their own homes, the, you know, the, the way that the Gaza Strip has been kind of policed over the past 50, 60 years, the restrictions getting tighter and tighter. I mean, these people are living in an open prison at this point. Yeah, I mean, surely at some point, the international community needs to step in and say, hey, we need to figure this out one way or another. It's exactly a prison, Aaron. They, they, are, they are not allowed to leave. They're literally trapped within Gaza. People who are born in Gaza cannot leave to go to uh, Israel. They can't leave to go to Egypt because they blocked all the borders. But You know what? You think that's mad, bro. They can't go out to get bread without being harassed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it's mad. Exactly. There that's was one. There was this one video where it was like this massive con- like concrete um, that was dividing the two sides. It was some something similar to that, and there was like a hole, and there was a little kid who comes to the hole. Little, I don't know, maybe younger than seven, eight, comes to that hole, and somebody pushes bread through, and that's how he gets the bread. Think about that. Yeah, yeah, that's how it do you works. Get, yeah. do, do you get me? Like, I don't care what the Palestinians have and so on and so forth. The control is, is on the other side. If the other side want it to be fine, it will be fine. You mm. understand? Mm-hmm. That's how it is. I, that, that's my opinion. And I believe that's the majority as well. I feel like that's what people... Yeah, I mean, you, we're but looking at a power dynamic here where it's like one side seems to have all of the power and you're asking the side that doesn't have the power to kind of create the um, create the solutions solu- which yeah. is very almost impossible you are the side that has no control so how can you possibly be the ones to actually create some sort of mm-hmm. solution from this uh, you know we want to i want to kind of reiterate as well when you say israel i know it's, it seems to be like synonymous with you know being jewish but we have to point out that there's a sizable jewish community specifically in the uk that like that i know of yeah. That don't necessarily agree with the actions of the Israeli state. Some of them don't agree with Zionism at all. Yeah, yeah. So that needs to be pointed out as well. I mean, this isn't a necessarily like a, a Jewish v Muslim thing because we've got to remember there's Christian Palestinians. Yeah. There's there's Jewish, Jewish Palestinians. Palestinians. Yeah. There was and, recently uh, a case so where a Jewish Palestinian man was beaten to the brink of death. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like because obviously he did he didn't. And I'm sorry to say, but there is a racial element attached to this in in Israel kind of like Arab uh, Jews in Israel are treated kind of like second-class citizens. Mm. Um, and it's not, you know, they try to always paint it as a, as a Muslim Jew thing. But in Easter, a similar event occurred, actually, where people wanted to go pray in their churches, uh, Arab, uh, Arab Palestinians, and they've been denied. And there was violence as well. It wasn't as big because the community is not as large. But there's an underlying tone of racism as well. And, and you know what, Aaron, you nailed it on the head. What again? What is the United Nations doing? What is your job then? Why do you even exist at that point? Because I'm sorry, even if even if you have let's say political um, you know reasons to keep hush, it's reached it's past the threshold. It's too big to ignore now. Yeah, I mean this is blatant violations of human rights, and it's been ongoing for how many years now? So I agree. I mean. I don't. I don't know what they're doing. Why they're sitting on their hands? Bare vibes. Uh, yeah, just vibes. They, they, that, that's Israel. it. Like they just come around there. the table now and then, and they discuss, and it looks like something's happening. But big vibes. Yeah, that's I mean, it. this is this is why all those people who are killing themselves over, oh my god, we're leaving Europe, and you know, and they want to, you know, stay within NATO and the UN, and they want to have all this influence over these different different groups, especially for like, you know, we're we're from Turkey, right? 
And for years, Turkey tried to join the European Union and mm. they've been a member of NATO, but they haven't been able to join the European Union, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I always look at these institutions and I say, this is just hogwash. This is just, what is this? This is Fugazi. just Fugazi. It's in yeah. the wind. Do you know what I mean? It's, what, what is the purpose of any of these organizations? How can they hold their head high and call themselves a legitimate, you know, a Congress of Nations that actually step in when required, when they're completely sitting on their sitting on their hands, when one of the major humanitarian crises of the modern era is taking place right under their nose, I, I don't understand this. It's completely unjust, unfair, uh, and something needs to be done. But I just don't know by who. As Rohat said, you're asking the people with no power to come up with a solution. It doesn't make sense. And let's talk about people with power in the region. You know that they they are supposedly you know they're supposedly like closer related uh, you know other Arab states that are doing very well and we can mention them Saudi Arabia UAE um, what is going on there why why are they not speaking up in the neighborhood you know this is them in their backyard it doesn't make sense if we had this situation in Europe for example which it did have it did happen with Bosnia etc Europe straight away at least makes a statement takes you know I mean deals with the situation but it just seems like everything's on a hush in that region and it's it really pains me to see that to be honest it's it's the obvious man it's it's the it's always going to be yeah. the obvious like the money 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 my like it's inconvenient it's not convenient for saudis to go it's it's inconvenient but what do you know what it is they don't say they, this. Is what this? Is how they think? They think why should we go? What can we benefit from helping these people instead of, yo, like forget the ben like people are dying. What can we do? Like they are our brothers. They yeah. are our sisters. It's not. But when when money is and money is always involved, it just this is how it will always be. That's why we just have to be realistic with our expectations. Like for us right now to turn around and even question Saudi, there's no point. Because we we know what's gonna happen. Nothing. They're not gonna do nothing. We know it's money. It's just let's bash them for a bit and tell them their shit, and then like move on. But you get me. They've got all the money in the world to probably help them people. But yeah. it is how it is, isn't it? You get I mean, me. And then Boris Johnson will probably come on to the news and say how upset he is about all the Palestinian people dying. But it will be his government who are who's selling arms to 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 Israel. So See, the funny thing is, I was just sense. about to bring this up. The way that it's been reacted to, I feel like in the media in general and especially in the West is like when they discuss it, they talk about it as if it's like an ongoing conflict between two equal parties. And they say, oh, we're sorry about the kind of death and destruction in the region. And we hope that both parties calm down. But again, reiterating it once more in this, let's call it a two party conflict, which I don't even think it is. But let's say in this two party conflict, realistically, one side has the power to stop it and the other doesn't. This, this isn't really a conflict, it's a beatdown, we're watching it. And it's very important what you said about Saudi and the UAE and all of this, because, for example, Turkey, Tayyip Erdogan gave a speech once at one of these meetings where he was on TV and he said, one minute, one minute, and he talked about how the Israeli government had shot the, uh, you know, a child who was playing on the beach, and it won him a load of acclaim, and he won more votes, and he got even more power, and he, everyone was like, oh, and he's amazing, he's a great leader of the Muslim world. But since that speech, a report came out the other day where they said something like nearly... The, the trade between the government of Israel and Turkey has gone up by nearly 200%. I mean, if, if really you are trying to kind of stand up for the rights of 
Palestinians because you yourself believe yourself mm. to be a Muslim leader, then surely that's not the direction you were taking. So it's very disingenuous. And there's only, as we said, prior to coming onto the podcast, we were having a discussion about this. And we said there's only one God within that region, and that's money. Mm. It's money at the end of the day. Like the Saudis, Turkey, the UAE, whatever, all of these countries, they run on money and really those in power only care about money as well. So this isn't really like, no one's going to take an ethical approach to this situation. So I don't know what you guys think, but I'm very disheartened by what's happened in the past week. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm reading, I did some research in between and I, I found something where the UN in the, in the past, in 2020, uh, December 2020, affirmed Palestinians' right to self-defense and self-determination. They literally said, you, you know what, you Palestinians, you can actually defend yourself. But here's the issue, though. So they can say that, but when they see, you know, blatant abuse happen, I don't know, man. There is, like you said, it's all, it's all about the gab. They all talk, and at the end of the day, it all filters down. I mean, to it's, money. it's one thing to say you have a right to self determination, but you, as the UN, have to be able to be willing to step in and stop these kind of events from occurring because you have a military power. You are the congregation of many different nations. You have the power to step in sending NATO, whatever, you have the power to step in and say, okay, they have a right to defend themselves. Clearly, this is going to escalate. Somewhere along the line, we need to step in and actually put a stop to this. Bring the should table, I, should I tell the you, table. Should I tell you when they'll step in, step inside, step in? Yeah, go on. Help it. This is just history repeating itself, bro. This is Iraq, this was um when they invaded Iraq. This is this is this is all it is. These kids that we see crying over their dead parents and stuff. Somebody tweeted the other day, today you cry about this person. And then when this kid becomes evil and he wants to uh, go back and show you how much pain he was in and he does something crazy, this same kid that you're crying for now, you are going to say, put him into jail, blah, 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 blah. It's just a cycle, bro. It's just a cycle and they're all going to be in it. And 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when these kids grow up and then we have another terrorist attack somewhere and someone then dies, then these countries will come in. Then they'll come in mess up the whole country again and then the cycle will go on again and then the cycle will go on again and it will never end yeah we've, we've carry seen on. this repeat yeah. and then they'll come on tv and they'll say i was wrong you know what this has got nothing well it's kind of got something to do with it but at the same time it's distance from it but jeremy corbyn man one in a million we missed out we missed oh. out and we are going to see the effects of it for a very long time Absolutely. Just, just on the humanity level, forget mm. everything else about economy or we would flourish, we won't flourish. I don't know about that. But humanity, one in a million and we missed out. The guy was at the protest again, once again. Yeah, 150,000 people were, were on a march today to kind of try to stop currently what's going on. Obviously, um, this was a pro-Palestine march. It was one that was kind of asking for Israel to stop with the bombings and so on and so forth. And uh, Jeremy Corbyn and his son were both there. Um, Again, he, he seems to be, this might be a biased view, obviously, because of where we stand, but it seems to me that Jeremy Corbyn is always on the right side of history. And once again, he's proven that. And despite having no actual, you know, he's not doing this yeah. because he's running for Labour leadership. He's not doing yeah. it. This is just who he is. So again, it's, it's, it's just, it's a terrible thing. And the point you made about those kids when they grow up, what they're going to become and who they're going to become. If they manage to grow up, because right now a lot oh, of them unfortunately can't. There we go. Grow That's up. another question. Right? It's like it's like there's a saying in Turkish which I'll very loosely translate, which starts off with the the spark that you started will turn into a wildfire and burn us all. This is what's gonna happen. Yeah, we exactly. Go. 
This is this is Al Qaeda all over again. What happened? Bro, what happened? What happened? It's literally. Oh my god! It is. It's man. like we saw what happened in Iraq. You destroyed the place, destroyed lives. What do you think? There's a bunch of orphans that all they saw was death. All they saw was people split in half. What do you, how do you think they're going to grow up? Do you think they're going to grow up psychologically fine? Do you know what I mean? Do you not think they're going to have like a hatred in their heart or Bro, something to I prove? Mean, I mean, let, let, let's not go. Let's, we don't even need to like go to this, what's happening in Iraq. Currently, right now in Yemen, there's children dying from starvation left, right and center. And it's something that's perpetuated by another Muslim state. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, let's not, this isn't like that entire region, it's not, region, a, one-off. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a one-off and it's, it's not even a case of, oh, it's the Jews doing it or it's the, oh, it's the Westerners doing it. We're seeing people from within those same communities, one country to another doing this. The blockade in Yemen right now, millions are dying. Yeah, yeah it's hot. It's disgusting it, what's happening there. Get your own house in order before you go and chat to somebody else, bro. That's literally what it mm-hmm. is. Like, I know all the well, it's on Israel right now. But like when it was um, the Western, when the, the America and the UK and blah blah went to Iraq, it was everyone was like saying, "Oh, look at the Western world, terrible, blah blah." blah. But once again, Saudi Arabia were like to Iraq uh, to America, "Yeah, please go to finish off Saddam." Saddam was yeah, a terrible exactly. person anyway, so whatever. But do you get me? Like we, yeah, we I've, go, I've said multiple times. Yeah, like, I'm glad Saddam's gone. But at the same time, you have to look at what's happened in the region. There were yeah, many yeah. opportunities to get rid of him without the Iraq war, without it having to... Is, uh... There were many, 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 many points in history where Saddam could have been stopped before he killed the thousands of people within the country prior to the war. This Bro, is the thing. I, Saddam I, was killing people prior to the war. No one cared until he went into You know what? The thing is, this is what I hate because this is the way the media shows it in... Like it looks like America done a great job for the whole wide world. They killed Saddam. Nice, bro. America, they were telling them, bro, it was Al Qaeda who done the 9/11. Like these men done it. But some guy called Wolf Wolovitz or something like that. I don't quite remember his name. He was one of the big head guys as well. And he told, uh, he's he's like to the president, yo, uh, cool, it was Al Qaeda, but let's go and if we can cut off Saddam from his oil, then we can like uh, get him out. And he won't have enough money to do nothing. Then we could just grab mm. him and get him and kill him. Or you again, it wasn't like we're gonna do the world a favor. Or you, do you get me? And well, then the weapons of mass destruction, it's been proven to be bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. Again, look, this is what I mean with the yeah, he never, community. yeah, yeah. No, if it's no bullshit, evidence. No if evidence it's bullshit, it. and we know that Tony Blair lied to the British public, we know that George Bush lied to the to the American public. Why are they not behind bars? I've locked them up and throw away the keys. Again, I can't again. believe it. Yeah, it's mad. Bro, but this what is what is the it justification? is. Kurdish people were getting murdered by Saddam for how many years? And they yeah, didn't give a damn time. until Saddam tried to get into Kuwait and take their oil. Once money was involved, that's yeah. when they decided to find their humanitarian uh, spirits. Mm-hmm. Where were you before this? When people were calling out, when you were giving uh, bullets to Saddam so that he could kill children, when you were selling him those missiles, when you were selling him the artillery, where were you then? Bro, they the Saddam's you know army. What the issue is? We, yeah, Saddam's army then got disbanded, and then America and American soldiers and like high people said, if we this army because they gave bullets and stuff like you lot said, if we disband this army, it's gonna become a problem. They're gonna there's gonna be so many people that's been military trained. We're gonna disband them. We're gonna create and take our own army and then try to set things in order. It's gonna create a huge problem. They said it themselves. 
These men turn out to be what? ISIS. I mean, yeah. you if literally you, create you, the problem and then fund the next problem. Me, if man. you follow the breadcrumbs, you can you always get down to the usual suspects, isn't it? Like hundreds. You always, you no always know. Else. You always know who Never. has started off the domino effect that has led to what we currently see in the middle. Bro, hundred man. But can I say to the whole Israel palace? No, yeah, sorry, sorry, Steve. Carry on. Yeah, so, so sorry. I'm gonna try like maybe divert it in a different yeah, yeah. different direction. Yeah, and sure, like the Middle East has been in this kind of conundrum ever since, let's say, the end of the Ottoman Empire, which lasted for, I don't know, 800 years, right? Why do you think we've, we're in this kind of phase? What do you think is the cause of it? I mean, I have my own reasoning and I have a theory, but why do you think we're in this cycle? Yeah, so this is what I mean. I don't know why as well, because this is what I want to find out as well, because like the middle, you have the natural result, it's a multi-billion trillion, like it could grow to be so much more. Do you yeah. get me? And even like you said, the Ottoman Empire time, even before that, like I remember Carla saying it, past, the yeah. maths, the chemistry, the the music, the er, like everything. What happened that it's in such a shit show right now? I feel like the Ottoman Empire was the kind of middle step in between nationalism taking over the the Middle East. So when when the Ottoman Empire came to power, it, it, they slowly kind of introduced the idea of you know one nation, one you know one people kind of approach of you know we are the turks with ottomans you know what i mean we're all powerful we'll go around we'll colonize different countries etc cetera, etc cetera. but after their fall and the rise of nationalism and you know the the movement of the western powers into that kind of region sprouted off borders which were very concrete uh and you know you've got many 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 different ethnicities many many different cultural groups and religions and so on in that region but when you when you move that sort of western ideology into a region that is so different and has so many different players within it it doesn't the cohesion yeah. isn't there it doesn't work and what you're seeing is a failed system they're, they're trying to implement a different culture into the middle east that just wouldn't work with that with with what they have yeah i mean like nationalism itself is a race-based idea you know french people are french and what do you think French is? It's, it's obviously the race in the in the region. Um, it w- may work in Europe, but like you said, in the Middle East, it doesn't work. And it's we've never tried it. I mean, this is the experiment, right? And it's failed because we know in a given region. Look, just look at Iraq. Iraq, you have Kurds, you have Arabs, you have so many different people. And as you said, uh, Roha, in the past, when it was let's say the golden era, I give the example of uh, there's a famous Kurdish man, Salah Haddin Ayubi, right? He was a leader of Egypt. I mean, at the time, no one questioned it. Everyone was fine. And I think it all comes down to the it all comes down to the point of what is the nation's identity or the region's identity. And at the moment, it's hinging on race. You know, when the British split up the Middle East, they say, "Okay, you Arabs, which is a race of people, by the way, have you know Saudi Arabia. Oh, you uh, let's say uh, Israelis have this, and they split it by race, but it doesn't work." We're too, we need to come to grasp that working together in the past has worked very well, and we need to come back to that cohesion. But obviously, so are I'm you not basically are you saying identity crisis? Is that what you're yes, basically I think we, under I, one? Word, we yeah. need a revolution in thinking, is an identity crisis completely. We tried the European way, which is the nationalistic way, it does not work, it's too complicated in the Middle East. It just sounds so to complicated to do as well, that though. It's just... Yeah, and you know what? I don't think it's something that, that is intentionally happens. I think it's something that is just, yeah, it just happens. evolves over time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't think you can put steps in place to make that happen. It just happens. 
Yeah, totally. I, I, I think so. But if, if again, it's the same uh, thing in North Africa as well. I mean, we were kind of separated, but our golden era was when our identity wasn't based on race. Mm. For example, we had, Af- uh, we had Arabs there. We also had uh, Berbers or Amazigh people and different tribes, which are like the natives. Yet there was no issues. And, y- you know, there would be no issues because you know what it is, bro, mm-hmm. like 19, like literally you're so similar to Arabs, to Algerians, to, do you get me? Like your neighbors and stuff, like it's not, so not, similar. Not then. not then, not in that, in that era, we weren't, we were very different. And to be honest, we still are today because we still have our native tongue. People still write it differently to Arabic, but yet it still works. And you need to really ask yourself, why did it work? It's, and this is my opinion, is that the identity of the people, yes, we knew we were different races, but we didn't lean on that stick. That wasn't the stick we lent on. And perhaps at that point, it was, for example, Islam at that point, right? And I'm not saying it needs to be that again, but it needs to be something that, that transcends race. And it's to be something that everyone can share in the region. You know, this is going to sound really stupid and you might think that I'm making like a really weird comparison mm. here, but like, even you see these like 23 and me kind of DNA tests and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's gone to such a point in our, what am I thing where we, where our, you know, genetic makeup determines exactly what we are, that mm-hmm. people can actually go and get a test to say you are literally this percentage of that. And your entire identity is surrounded around, oh, this is my, you know, this is what my background is, my biological background is. And as you said, like, that's the stick that is being lent on. Yeah, exactly. You you can be different things. You don't have to, you know, this idea of we all have to be one homogenous kind of weird gloop of grey. Like, it doesn't, you don't need to all be (laughs) one thing. You can be different things and still work together. And, you know, like, Steve, you're, you're a different background from me. Exactly. Right. You're, you know, our religion ain't the same. Our race ain't the same. But we, we might as well, you know, be brothers. We've been, we do everything together. We, we're always around yeah, one another. And culturally, we, we share a lot. Even though, like you said, we share a lot of similarities despite yeah. being different. Yeah. Exactly. Why do we need to? And I think this, on that. And this is the point. This is what I hope in the future. It's not going to happen in the next fifty years. Probably towards the end of our life lifetime, we'll see a shift. I don't know where, but I'm hoping that the identity does not lean on race anymore. I'm hoping we can transcend these boundaries and they can actually build a nation or whatever you want to call it. Perhaps nations won't be a thing anymore and it'll be back to empires, but something built on something more sturdy. And like you said, it's okay. We can be different. It's happened in the past and people were fine with it. Do you know what I mean? Why are we so adamant on this racial identity? It doesn't work. Yeah, as you said, it's not a sturdy ground to build on because it's just a house of cards, right? Because you you assume that, if, like, let's go back to the Israel-Palestine thing, right? So you assume that if somebody is Jewish, for example, that they must agree with the state of Israel, right? Because you're saying, oh, well, we're from the same kind of background. We, we exactly. must be the same. But as we pointed out, there are people who disagree with that. You, you know, it's just because you're the If you move away from these racial lines and you just look at a person for being a person that's where you have a sturdy foundation to build on mm. when you say oh we're the same and as i said like if you were to take a genealogy so if i was to take a genealogy thing right now and find out that i'm what 80 percent nigerian does that mean that i'm suddenly going to hold the exact same views with every other nigerian it wouldn't make yeah, sense I'm actually, right? so, every day. I'm actually 0.3 nigerian nice nice that means so, i am as well so Niger, man. <laughs> well you never know it might be from my mom's side yeah, you, know, side. Yeah, you never know yeah maybe it's from your mom's side no, i don't know but um 
Yeah, this is what I mean. Like, I, I think, I think that's that's definitely the case. I do agree with you 100 on that. I mean, I don't want to stop talking about this and go, oh, hey guys, we've got our movie hour in the moment. But um... should we should we talk about <laughs> football? Should we talk about football, about football for one yeah, second? Yeah, go on. Let's maybe change the topic a little bit and then we can yeah, finish up with our... Yeah, let's get a bit happier. And uh, yeah. I think today right, was the, the FA Cup final. Yeah. And yeah. Leicester City went and beat Chelsea 1-0. Chelsea. I mean, mm. the celebrations was... I don't know. You, you, you know when your hairs stand up on your back? Mm. When you see the, the, you know, the ex-owner of Leicester City, mm. his, um, his banner who unfortunately died in a helicopter accident. But he, you know, he invested cleverly in, in Leicester City. He really supported the team and he was quite loved. To see, you know, his banner there and his son in the stands, you know, crying. I don't know, like, it makes me feel like I'm a Leicester boy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leicester lad. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, man, like, like you said, when, when, when the owner passed away, like, it was a really like, sad moment because, I think it was a sad moment because they lo- you can tell that they do it for the love of the club or for the love of the game, either or. Do you get me? Yeah, mm. obviously he's got business intentions like everyone would do, which is acceptable. You should, of course, you're a businessman. But he didn't, he said, okay, I'm a businessman. I'm going to make my profits, but I'm going to, you know, some of these profits, I'm going to put it back into the club because I know that if this club thrives, the people who support it, it's going to make them a little bit more happier. They're going to be more enjoy, they're going to enjoy life a bit more. It brings them joy, and and he done that, not like these other clubs who all it is about yeah. money. So I'm, I feel like I'm a Leicester lad as well right now, you know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, being was, an Arsenal supporter is it's pretty easy to just say, you know what, yeah. today, let it go. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was really really good. And another thing as well, I know we talk about football, but Hamza Chowdhury as well, he, uh, him and another player, I think it was um the centre back Fofana, yeah. Palestinian flag they held it up you know none of that media trained stuff it's mm. the way they feel and they showed it with action held the flag, flag up you know raised awareness and stuff you yeah. know what actually that's a great point you brought up and that's a whole different angle that we can take with approaching this whole Israel-Palestine situation right now so obviously Chowdhury and um, Fofana have lifted the Palestine flag to which they've had a whole barrage of hateful comments and tweets and people saying they should be punished uh, Mohamed El Neni, he posted his support for Palestine and Lavezza, which is a sponsor of Arsenal, an Italian coffee company, I believe. Uh, they said that, you know, they don't agree with that sort of message being attached to them. And so they want Arsenal to have a word with El Neni and so on and so forth. What's your thoughts on that? Like, can a person not just say, look, I'm, I'm on that side of the things? Like, surely if it's a two-way argument as it's been uh, put mm. out into the media, then... You're going to have people on one side and people on the other, right? Look, Why we, should you not be able to make that criticism? We know the, the West and most businesses support Israel. It's not a secret. And I feel like, you know, th- this was also the case in apartheid South Africa. And at some point, you have to draw a line. At some point, you have to be like, you know what? I know this is going to have backlash and it's okay. I'm going to take the heat. It's the same with Black Lives Matter when, um, what's his name, took the knee initially, right? He knew, come on, you, you know the backlash that's going to come from from that section yeah. but but it's up to a point where it's, it's bigger than the sport Bro. it's bigger than yeah it's 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 like he's an honorable man that's the thing nobody's got honor now man he Kaepernick was a, a honorable man that's why he can he said you know what it's bigger than me 
uh, I believe in this cause and I'm going to do what has to be done. And I'm sure right now he's reaping the benefits of that because and then because you're on humanity's side. Karma was on his side. Do you get me? So th that's what it is. Like right now I'm on Twitter just to check, just to verify if what Eden said was right. And it was some guy from the Chronicles of, what does he, he writes for a Jewish paper, he writes for an Israeli paper. Straight away, he put that picture up and he said the FA need to act immediately to discipline them. For what? Can they not support my, that my side? My argument is this. My argument is this. If it was an Israeli flag that was raised, would we see the same sort of reaction? Definitely. So, for example, would Levetsi turn around and say, Mohammed El Neni, he put up an Israeli flag picture, he needs to be disciplined immediately? I don't believe so. Mm. I don't believe so. And there's nothing in, in historically that would provide us with any kind of indication that that would be the case so i i just don't understand what the situation is here so like, a person can't turn around and say i'm on that side how, how is that fair how is that just again mm -hmm. look right now somebody's tweeted absolute disgrace football pitch should be free from politics do you know what type of person tweets that a person who's got a roof over their head just about to have dinner they're all, all of their family is safe they know everybody's safe no problem and he's tweeting you know, it should be free from politics. Bro, these are the platforms. You know what? We say celebrities, they don't use their platforms enough to, to help causes, blah, blah, blah. But then we also say they shouldn't use it. Uh, they should just uh, concentrate on their sport and all that. People are dying, bro. It's bigger than... Uh, it's bigger. Do you get me? But it also yeah. fuck Zlatan Ibrahimovic as well while we're at it because he just came to my head saying that. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's a he's little a punk pagan. as well. Yeah, he's a should, I, should I tell you something though? Like the, the importance of athletes, especially in a country like the UK, which is so adamant and diehard about football, he can't be minimized at all. Because as we said, yeah. like with Colin Kaepernick, for example, when he started to take, when he took the knee, that really ushered in a new era in terms of the mainstream media and how they reacted towards Black Lives Matter and that slogan, right? In the same way that right now we've seen the Palestinian flag on, you know, on a live event, primetime television, we've seen that flag and it's been talked about, but even by people like us, just general people just discussing the topic, it's an indication of the importance of these athletes in, in the global scheme of things, right? You can say, oh, they're just footballers, they're just meatheads, but, you know, they, they have a reach. And so they should be able to use their reach however they please. Look, look, everyone... Ozu and the whole Chinese Uyghur Muslims. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be real. Okay, Arsenal did want to get rid of uh, Ozil, but that was the final nail in his coffin. How is that fair? Mm. Historically, are any of these clubs going to be able to look back at and actually say with pride, yeah. oh, we were on the right side of history, if they do decide to, for and, example, take Chowdhury and Fofana to discipline? You know what, Aaron? Like, we... <laughs> I'm sorry, but like this has happened in the past. You, if you remember in the Olympics where, uh, what's his name? Uh, put up, uh, you know, the black, the black power fist. You know, at that point it was criticized. Now we look at it as like, oh my God, it was totally the right thing. What heroes? Uh, again, Muhammad Ali, do you know what I mean? When he decided to go to jail uh, for, to, to not go into um, the war in Vietnam. You know, at that point, at that point in time, he was totally criticized by the media totally criticized by the uh, by the industry, you know, dropped from all the rankings. Now we look back in hindsight and history's kind on him because he was on the right side. It's going to happen again. Look, Whoa. people are going to criticize. Businesses are going to drop out. In a good 30 to 50 years, when people reflect on this, history will be on their side. 
And that's, I think, the most important thing. Bro, it's like what we just spoke about, about the walls, how it just cycles over and over again. This how, it's like the people at the top are just the worst. Like, they do, they, everything is a mistake. And we look back at it, like you said, and we're like, oh, we were right. Bro, and nobody can tell me about footballers should, or athletes and celebrities should just do what they do. Because if they had listened to that advice, there's kids going hungry in the UK right exactly. now. Exactly. Thank you get you. me. Yeah. Kids go, bro. bro a twenty-three-year-old footballer fed the children of this country because the prime minister was too busy spending public funds on his fucking. Oh god, I don't even want on his on his affair. Okay, on his affair. Just, I'm gonna be kind and just call it an affair. I'm not gonna say anything about Jennifer Curry or Boris Johnson personally, but this man who was talking about we don't have any money for that, and his ministers who are saying we don't have any money for it. Okay, the eyebrows done. To and... siphon off money from public funds. To their own family members, Hancock giving bloody contracts to his sister for PPE, right? Uh, Piri Patel claiming, uh, Pretty Patel claiming what seventy k, as you said on eyebrows, <laughs> while while my, Marcus Rashford ensured that children actually got fed. So you can't tell me that footballers they should just be quiet. First of all, what is a footballer? Is a footballer not a human being? Is a human being not allowed to have an opinion? Oh, it's true. bullshit. It's absolutely bullshit. They're trying to like kind of. Uh, take away the identity of human being and just make footballers into these kind of sacks of meat that run around for our entertainment. Bro, it's kind of the very people that do that, like I said, will revere Muhammad Ali for what he done. It's so backwards. It's so stupid. Like it's not consistent. Sports for me is a perfect platform for politics. <laughs> you know, as much as they hate it, bro. Everything is political with sports. Look at international football. Look at the Olympics. You're telling me that's not political? The Olympics aren't political. The pinnacle of sports, that isn't political, where every country sends their own representative. Why did they do it then? That's so Why did political. they do it on the, on the basis of nations? Why? Why would they do that? Yeah, that's so political that the Russians will give every sort of enhanced, enhanced drug to Bro, their They'll send the Winter Soldier to their... To literally. The <laughs> they send you the Winter me. Soldier to the Olympics. It's not a Marvel movie. It's a real life thing. They'll literally send like Ivan Drago to the Olympics. Why? Because it's a political thing. It gives you political favor if you win. Yeah, it makes 100%. you look powerful as a nation. You Bro, can't sit here and say politics and sports don't go hand in hand in hand. They're literally like symbiotic. You can't confine people to one. Oh, you're a football player. Okay, that's it. That's forever. That's that's it. You've picked your life. That's it. That's all you do. Nah, man, you can't. You can't hmm. do that, like you said, bro. Especially in today's day and age, where you have got social media, and today Rashford can go on his phone, record himself, and say, "I want the kids to be fed." And you saw what happened. It happened, bro. Thank God for social media. Thank Thank God for social media. Yeah, thank God because, bro, kids are literally, they're eating, man. There's kids today who are going to bed. Can we we also point out, Can we? they aren't going to bed stomach full. You know, can we point something out? The the companies that were supposed to give these kids food were sending them tuna in pound, in coin bags. So they've still got blood on their hands, this government, by the way. But I just want to point out that Marcus Rashford did everything he possibly could. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But the government... They still need to be held to account. And you know mm. what's even more worrying? A recent poll showed that the, the Conservative Party are 15 points ahead. How is that possible? You know well, what? Let's, let's steer away. Let's steer away. Anyway, you know what? We're you know going to go we'll, into a whole different argument here. But this whatever. is for perhaps we go into it in the uh, extra episode. But um, I guess now we're going to go move on to the movie section. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what do you oh, you know, I, I don't what really feel it? like talking about it, but you know, um, let's, let's go for it. Let's go for yeah, it. So, so this week's uh, movie suggestion was Suspiria, 
No, no, no. It was um, Enemy. Suspiria is for next week. That's our movie suggestion for next week. But this week we're reviewing Enemy. Uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal, Dennis Villanueva. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. My bad. So I watched it, obviously, and I suggested it to you, Steve. Rohat was the one who suggested it to me, so it's kind of uh, almost... Uh... It's been so long for me, though. I have <laughs> not seen it in years. I don't remember it. Maybe, All I know... Spoiler alert. Evan, do you want to give a quick yeah, yeah, recap? Yeah. Right. So um, there's this guy. He, he's played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, I guess he's a professor of some sort in the university. And uh, he he finds out one day that there's a guy who looks exactly like him. Now the the professor is a very timid guy. He's got a you know a girlfriend who's a bit more on the bunchy side of things, but he's a, he's a bit timid. He lives quite a boring life, I guess. Um, and he he finds out that this guy who looks exactly like him is, I believe, an actor, and he's got a girlfriend who's who's pregnant. And it kind of just plays on the fact that you know there's two people who look the exact same, but act completely different. And yeah, it's just they they kind of go back and forth. There's a lot of imagery in the movie with regards to like spiders or like I, I don't even know how to describe it. Mm. There are a lot of kind of sexual scenes in it, so I guess that kind of plays a role in it. It's one of those movies where it's um, a lot of it is a metaphor, really. That's my take from it. Mm. But eventually, what ends up happening is he confronts the guy who looks exactly like him, and the one who's an actor, obviously being the more extroverted one, he says, "Okay, I'm gonna act as if I'm you, and I'm gonna sleep with your girlfriend." Uh, <laughs> Which I don't know. I don't know if that's like a thing that you guys would do in that scenario. But bro, um, it's one of those ones where it's like there's literally it's no pl- there's not a plot. It's just bare weird. It's just yeah. It's it's a very weird film, which is why I suggested it. Can and, I say? Can I say though, Evan, yeah. you're too horny. So far, the films we've suggested are so horned up. But like, bro, the thing is, we said we're gonna suggest movies that are different, so right? Horny, I can't bro. turn around and say a movie like The Godfather. Which it is defi- it's definition of different is horny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but like, come on, that's just Steve watching it and going, oh, I've just seen a penis and that's it. Like, you know what I mean? Why are you fixating on that? <laughs> Maybe, let me ask you a question, Evan. Do you yeah. think it was the same person? See, uh, this is my theory. Look, so basically they get into the car, um, the actor and well, the professor's girlfriend and the professor's girlfriend, I think kind of realizes that something's a little off there and they have a car accident and they die. Okay. And so now what you've got is the professor and the actor's girlfriend who was pregnant with his child. Uh, and he kind of decides, okay, well, I'm just going to become this guy and I'm going to be with this, with this woman. I think that we're watching the movie in a way where the guy who's married to the girl that's pregnant, it's, it's, him within himself having two personalities and there's a side of him that he doesn't want to let go of, you know, the kind of the woonchy extrovert who's, who's, you know, with this model or whatever, and he's not very faithful and whatnot. And we're watching him kind of struggling within himself on who he wants to be. If he wants to be the guy with the mistress or if he wants to be loyal to his wife. And uh, I think his wife represents kind of like sexuality and stuff to him and it's something that he's scared of. Uh, so at the very end of the movie, again, spoiler alert, but we, we were expecting you guys to watch the movie. So what made the movie for me was the ending anyway. So he walks in on his, his pregnant girlfriend or wife or whatever. And instead of his girlfriend, I, I, what would you guys call it? It was like a giant tarantula spider thing, but it looks scared. So it's something that you would often think would be a monster that's monster, <laughs> monster, a monster who's... Um, you know, would be scary, but in this scenario, the the monster's the kind of scared one, mm. and it kind of ends there. Bro, that meant something. But I'm that meant be... something. I felt that that represented what that he's scared of this this commitment, which is the the baby to come, 
and he's scared of you know what that represents becoming a father and having to settle down and whatnot i think the two versions of him were different parts of his personality basically i, I thought that was the metaphor but it's one of those movies where 50 people can watch it and have 50 different opinions so steve like what do you think of the movie i initially thought that but then there was a scene that stuck with me it was the part when um, the the actor version of himself was obviously in the room with uh, the professor's girlfriend, like when they switched uh, wives. And she realized that it wasn't him because he had a ring mark around his finger. And so if it was the same person, why would he not have a ring mark usually? Would he always have the ring mark? See, this is the thing. I, I think you're not supposed to take it too... too um... I, th- I, th- I think this is exactly the literal. point. I yeah, think that's the whole point of it. It's he a fugazi. Put, it's in it's the wind. It's, uh, la, la. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not it, yeah, bearing yeah. like interpretations to it. Bro, that film, that movie was weird, man. I don't know, man. It was a weird film. And what, but... At one point, I remember, at one point, there was this like, this trend. It, it wasn't so big, but it was like, watch this movie and record your reaction when you get to this part of it. And people will record their reaction, and everybody was like, "What?" It, the it f- was the like, part with the the spider. The spider. Right? Everyone, yeah. yeah, everyone's like, "What the heck?" Like, what? They were shocked. They're like, "What?" It, it mm. just made no sense. Right? It was one of those. One and of those movies, movie, though. You do see like these giant kind of creatures in the sky, yeah. and then you're like, "Wait, was that in his imagination or was that real?" So that's why I'm kind of thinking perhaps this was all in his head, and it was just a way of him. So I think he had a mistress. So I think that woman was real, but he was trying to decide whether or not to go with the mistress or to kill that side of him and stay with his wife. But I, I don't know. I think, I, I, I think that was the main theme, but I think the underlying theme, like the underlying thing is that this is actually real. There is actually two people. This is my opinion, but mm. I guess we can go straight to ratings. So Rohat, if you had to give it out five, you know, we have high standards on this podcast. Yeah. What would you give it? Bro, again, like I watched it years ago, but if, it, if I can't remember the plot, too much and i just remember bits of it but it's very memorable the bits that i remember mm. out of five i'll say because i did watch it like continuously i didn't look at my phone i remember that i'll, I'll give it a free i'll give it a free out of five that's fair what about you Aaron? i give it a 3.75 because like look at how we've discussed this movie and then look at how we discussed the other movies the other movies were like yeah it was all right i guess uh, whatever and we just moved on but this one we've actually gone into a, like an actual discussion about it so yeah but 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 you know what it 3.75 is 3.75 is too much though but because i think it's just... too far. i mean that's my personal opinion don't attack me don't attack me no, no, i feel canceled. like i'm gonna I'm attack you right now. i'm getting cancelled right now i'm getting attack right him, now. Attack him, right. no, no, no i'm gonna attack you because i don't you know how people you know like Different, but just because it's unique, it doesn't make it. That's the only reason he's talking about it because it's mad unique and it's bare. We don't understand it. Understanding is not a great thing sometimes. Do you get me? I feel no, like you know what? Those... I personally like movies that make me go, "What? What was that?" And I try to kind of figure it out. I mean, I know some people don't like that at all and they hate those movies, but me personally, I like them. So that's why I gave this one a three point seven five. Like, mm. I mean, Butt Boy was also a unique movie, right? But we gave that one a very low rating. Okay, Ed was... definitely was the one who suggested that to me as well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. persistently as well. Like, yeah, it was such a weird film. I wanted people to watch it and discuss it with me, but Steve obviously couldn't even stomach it. So, um, but that one got a low rating, right? It's different, but we got a low rating. Very this warning. one, it was different, but I, I quite enjoyed it. For me, so for my ratings, 
the way I felt this film was, was you know those hipster people in like um, mm. Shoreditch that are forcing mm. it because they have no style? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. This is well, what I don't that know, I feel was. like you're sticking on me with that, that, that little comment <laughs> there, but all right, fine, it's fine. For me, that's what that film was. It was trying to be edgy. It was trying to be cool, but it didn't do it in a good way. It didn't do it in a way that was convincing. It was trying way too hard to be cool. You know, vegan has a septum piercing, you know, wear some weird clothes, but it's you're forcing it. You just don't have a uh, For our many like vegan people, listeners so. who who have downloaded all of our episodes on uh, eco-friendly veganism and so on, uh, the views of Steve. Yeah, Uh-oh. that that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the I like the people with the septum. Yeah. They're chill. But you know what? When Steve said that, like they're trying to be different, they're trying to be blah. You know what? Okay, it's on mine. You know when you'll be like reading an extract from a book or something in English class, and it'll be like mm. the curtain was blue. And your teacher will be like, the curtain was blue. What does that mean? Was he having a good day? The colours. Bro, and the, the awful curtain probably just meant the curtain was blue. It's it? blue. Do you get me? Just describing yeah. the room. That's yeah. it. I think it was like, it was one of those movies. Like that's mm. Yeah, maybe I am doing the English teacher. Maybe the, the guy who made the film was like, bro, it's just about a guy fucking a giant spider. And I don't know. but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, right? But I'm not going to change I'm going to give it a three. Okay, so you're giving it a free as well. Yeah, free. So then if we add those together and we divide it by free, the average rating is 3.25. Yeah. So we've given a 3.25 to this movie. And next week's suggestion is one by Steve. He's bigged this up quite a bit, by the way. So if this, this is, is crap, I'm going to stick it on you, but carry on. <laughs> I started it, Steve, the first mm. couple seconds, but... It, First couple keep, minutes, but keep it just going. felt odd, man. I don't, don't know, it's, it? it is odd. It keeps it just keep going. So, so what the is film, the movie, Steve? Give the it, film is it. a horror film, guys. So you know, if you're squeamish, uh, be prepared. It's called Suspiria. There are no jump scares. I will tell you this: there are no jump scares, but you're gonna be shitting yourself by the end of the film. Okay. Like that, yeah. I'm expecting. I don't know, Steve. I've. I mean. I saw beheading at nine a.m. on Reddit this morning, so I, I, don't, I think <laughs> I can stomach a Suspiria or whatever. But let's see. Right. I guess so. on that note, we'll uh, wrap it up here. Thank you for listening, guys, and thanks for supporting. We're going to head on to our Patreon, and uh, we'll see you there. Right. Uh, Steve, it, why didn't you say who said having fun and being serious can't go hand in hand? That was bloody brilliant.